and I'm trying to decide, like, I can't put Aaron and Shane B-roll at the top of the show. Why not? Because then everyone will know. Aren't they going to know anyway? Like, isn't, like, won't they listen and then they'll know? Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitter and join in on the conversation. Peace. Hello, and welcome to Active Listeners with Shane and... Aaron. I'm sorry, who are you? I'm Aaron. Aaron who? Me. Me, I'm, I'm Aaron. Hey. <laughs> that is right, Active Listeners. Listeners, uh, we have a surprise bamboozle for our co-host, Mike, today. I have brought on Aaron, uh, so please do us a favor, introduce yourself like this was an interview, but like a short one. Hey, I'm Aaron Monahan. I am a friend of Shane's. We've known each other for many years. We actually met at a murder mystery dinner theater troupe Ooh. production where I was filling in for somebody else, and then we've been working together ever since. I know, and then I've loved more than half of it at least <laughs> so mike has no idea what we're about to do to him today so i figured we would bring you on we talk to you for a little bit and then when we get to the interview we'll totally throw him off make him think that it's going to be you as the guest and then just turn the script completely on him <laughs> aaron also doesn't only act aaron is also the producer for this murder mystery and has a history in lighting design. Can you talk to about that for a second? Yeah, so I have been doing theater for a very long time. Um, I actually went to a specialty high school, uh, a governor's school for the arts and technology, but I focused on theater there. And it was kind of an overview of like acting, playwriting, directing, lighting set, uh, pretty much everything under the sun. And then from that high school, I went to college and I have a degree in theater studies. And I also worked as a master electrician while I was working on my degree. A little bit of everything. That's always the thing that I think surprises me. You always tell me about your theater history background and then you get to the master electrician and I always like double take. And it's like, when did you have time to fit that in on top of everything else? I did it very poorly in college. <laughs> like when I probably should have been doing my homework, I was like, oh, you need help with lights? I got you. And then you and just kind of like started soaking up the information from there. Yeah. I, I mean, I took it like a stage lighting class, but I did, I did learn most of it actually working the job. That's really awesome. So yeah, Aaron and I have worked together in a bunch of different capacities. I've directed Aaron. Aaron has, I'm sure, directed me at some point, at the very least produced me acted side by side with me. But I think what I am most uh, excited about is this sort of side project you and I have been talking about that hasn't quite gotten off its feet yet. But we're going to call it Two Idiots Reading Shakespeare. <laughs> I imagine I'm idiot two because I want to give you the privilege of being idiot one. 
Thank you. That's kind of you. You're welcome. I thought that was, thought that was big of me. (laughs) But our plan is just to start grabbing Shakespeare scenes and reading them together and just get a little, get a little performance under our belts. Mostly because Aaron currently lives in Virginia and I used to live in Virginia. So this is not only a fun little side project, it's going to be a cool way for us to keep in touch and stay artistically creative at the same time. I'm excited. <laughs> as soon as as soon as this summer is over and the much ado sort of starts to fade away, I'll have plenty of time to be an idiot with you, I promise. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I think the first <laughs> scene we're going to do is what, Midsummer? Yeah, I think that's what we picked, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a preference on a, a second scene? No, not yet. We'll just do like a really deep, dark history that no one's ever heard of. I have like an anthology of Shakespeare. What if we just open to a random page and go for it? Consider me hooked. (laughs) All right. I don't know that we need this intro to be too crazy long because I think most of the fun of this episode is going to be torturing Mike. Yeah, Uh, that's that's very true. Yeah, I mean, he just, he has no idea what to expect. He's going to come in and he's good. He probably has like a list of questions for you ready to ask as well. I know. Maybe, I kind of feel oh, that. wait, wait, wait. Can you get him to send it to you so then I can ask him those questions? <laughs> Is that too much? I'll send him I'll send him a message and be like, hey, can I get those questions? Because I didn't write any this week. So yeah, I just I, I just want to borrow a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> it's also gonna be interesting because I legitimately quote unquote met him for the first time on Wednesday over a Zoom call while we were all playing DD. And that was unexpected. He was the surprise guest for our D&D game. And I had never interacted with him before in my life. Yeah, well, we had to make sure you met before you interviewed You had nothing him. to do with it. I don't, had don't even, absolutely nothing to do with it. You, you, also, you also blew up our spot. We are very nerdy people. Blew up your spot? What does that mean? Because we're nerdy and you told the entire world we play D&D. Oh, you say that like we didn't already know. You had an entire episode about it. I'm a fan, remember? <laughs> yes, I actually Aaron, listen. Aaron is a longtime uh, fan of the show. I, I believe you listened to every episode so far. I have. Yes, I have. And I'm not even going to ask you to call out your favorites and not favorites. Oh, good. Because I did not make a list. <laughs> I was not prepared for that question. All right. Well, I do have a question for you, though. Um, do you have okay. any questions prepared for Mike? Uh, the favorite snack one that I told you about, the second favorite snack, because it's really important to me to know what his go-to is when he can't have his go-to. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you have another question as well? Something about I, working at home. Yeah, I think that an interesting point of focus will be he's working on a lot of projects, but during the pandemic, a lot of that is done from home. And I know he's also a dad and he has two kids now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So he's working on all of his projects from home while being the father to these two children. And then his wife is also doing her podcast and, and what they're doing and just what that balance is like and, and what it's like to be in that position, I think will be really interesting to find out. All right, cool. Um, Aaron, thank you for agreeing to come on and help me bamboozle one of my best friends. I'm very excited for this episode. And all of you listeners out there, if you have the time and have a moment, please go check out our Patreon. You can give us a little bit of money and it's going to give you a lot of extra content. It's something fun we do, but we want to turn this into a full-time career. So the only way we're going to do that is through you. And 
without further ado, let's bring on Mike. There's a link in the show description that allows you to leave us a voice message. If you leave us a message, we might respond to it during the recording of one of our episodes. Head down to the show notes and join in on the conversation. Hello and welcome back to Active Listeners. And our guest tonight is Mike Lake. Yes, Mike Lake, that is right. You have been bamboozled. (laughs) Aaron and I have already recorded our intro and you are our guest for Active Listeners this evening. (laughs) Please do us a favor, introduce yourself, tell us something fun or interesting about yourself. And uh, let us know your pronouns. Okay, uh, I'm Mike. I'm an actor, artist, podcast host, and my pronouns are he, him, although I wouldn't be offended by they. And a fun fact about myself is I'm over this bit, so let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> Mike, this isn't a bit. This, this is real life. Are you really interviewing me? We are really yeah. interviewing you tonight. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this will be interesting. Erin was concerned that you'd be mad. No. I was. I assured her that that would probably not be the case. All right, cool. So we have a guest host. So if it is, we can blame Shane. We have a guest host. Awesome. We really, uh, yeah, and we have already recorded our intro. Okay, okay. So yeah, we're we're ready to cool. go. So, right. Well, then in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, uh, actor, artist, uh, visual artist, and yeah, this this little podcast here that I'm being interviewed on, which is kind of weird, with my buddy Shane. And I'm a dad and a husband. And a real fun fact about me is that I'm six foot four. And that has provided my life with tons of strange uh, opportunities to grab things off of high shelves for strangers in grocery stores and constantly being asked if I play basketball which I did not. I mean, you are pretty giant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron, I'm going to give you the first question as our guest host today. Sure, sure. So uh, as we were talking about before we started recording, you did just get back from rehearsal. And it's my understanding that you're actually working on like a bunch of different projects and you're kind of a little all over the place right now. So many. <laughs> so you want to talk about some of those projects that you're working on maybe the rehearsal you just got back from yeah uh the rehearsal i just got back from is a rehearsal for creative action unlimited's production of the climb which will be a film it's a partially devised uh i guess wholly devised which is unusual for film it is more of a thing that you will see in, in certain theater spaces Creative Action Unlimited in Troy, New York. They do devise theater. A lot of their work is very Boal inspired, kind of shout out to a previous episode we had. And yeah, it is going to be tackling the systemic racial and socioeconomic issues that have been facing people of color in our country for the better part of a hundred years now. So yeah, kind of spanning from the Great Depression until today. And yeah, it was a really heavy episode or a really heavy heavy rehearsal because we did the whole play, the whole thing today. Oh, so like maybe we should not have chosen tonight to surprise you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay because like it's it's also like a call to action. So at the end of it, I'm like super charged. 
So it's cool. good that I'll have all this time to talk and get that energy out. Good, good, good. Have you ever done devised work before? I haven't. No, um, not like on purpose, you know. Uh, <laughs> How do you accidentally devise? Please do tell. Well, I mean, anytime you have to like, anytime you have to make something up on stage because like someone missed an entrance or, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's a topic, right? And then you have to literally like, okay, I'm on stage. This happened to me once. I was on, I was in a show called The Whipping Man and it's a three person show. And one of the actors, there's a scene where we're eating, we were eating horse meat, quote unquote, and it was actually beef jerky, like the driest thing on the planet you can put in your mouth and consume. On stage. Yeah, seriously. On stage. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) and one of the actors started to choke and we didn't have any water on stage. That was the last night we didn't have any water on stage. And he, he had to go backstage to get some water. And it was like literally 30 seconds. And it felt like the longest 30 seconds of my life. And myself and the other actor had to in like create just banter that made sense for this world. And we kind of like hated each other. Your, your characters hated each other or your actors hated each other? No, Paul was amazing. Okay. Um, but our characters, yeah, were kind of rivals. At least you had somebody else with you. I can only imagine, like, let me just sit here and eat this horse jerky for 30 <laughs> seconds. Like, no, that's when that's when you <laughs> pretend that it's a break in the scene and you just walk off stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Let lighting and sound figure it out. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I haven't done any device work. So, at first, I was a little weirded out by it. It's very personal, too. It's like all of us kind of bringing our own experiences to the piece and uh so yeah like i said it can get it can get kind of kind of heavy that sounds really cool i'm interested yeah yeah when does it uh well that that will film early fall so like late september early october after we're done with the other two things that i'm currently working on i was gonna say i know that i could probably list four things that you're working on and i don't think i know <laughs> everything that you're working on so you think i could list multiple things <laughs> that you're working on and i've literally only just listened to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we have this devised piece aren't you also doing um commission oh yeah, yeah art like visual art artist work for a game I am. Yeah. Tabletop game. Uh, The game is called Old School Essentials. It is a D&D clone, but like an early D&D, like Gen 1 D&D, which most people that listen to our podcast either weren't alive for or didn't play back then. Yeah. So it's basically just like old school D&D and the entire game right now is being just supported by player content so people writing their own stuff and releasing releasing books mostly like kickstarter uh projects and stuff and yeah so i'm doing a big old honking commission for that just kind of waiting for the uh the books like designer so like you got the guy that the people that do all the images and write all the things and then you you have the designer that kind of makes it all look pretty when it's printed so we're kind of waiting on word from that person to begin like assigning some of the drawings but I did I did have like a a smaller project for that that I have been working on that I actually just finished today but yeah that's really cool biggest commission I'd ever got I've ever gotten and hopefully it's the beginning of many many more and I can quit my job (laughs) I would love for you to be able to quit your job 
one of these things got to work out, right? So one of the things that I have learned from your commission work is that apparently when you do commission work for books and stuff, there's only so many colors you're allowed to use. <laughs> what? Is that real? Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, um, This it's like a very stylized look that they're kind of going for. Most of the, the drawings actually I'll be doing will be black and white and grayscale. Oh. It's cheaper to print. But the first thing I did for them was design a hex grid, which if you're unfamiliar with tabletop games is just like a, if you think of a board game, it's literally hexagonal, hexagonal shapes that form a hex grid. Uh, and it d- indicates travel in a lot of cases. So I did one for them. Oh, by the way, the project is named uh, Planar Compass. Uh, this is their second volume. They have they have a published one volume already. And for those of you at home, it was very amusing to watch Mike try to make a hexagon shape with his hands on screen. <laughs> See, I'm I'm still just thinking about the hexagonical and like if that were like McGonagall with like hexagons. Like in Harry Potter, <laughs> that's, that's where I went off to for some reason. Just strange, so I'm just, <laughs> fifth dimensional being. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron, what were some of the other questions you you had written down? Because she actually prepared for this interview. I did. Wow, you guys have been planning this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. So I kind of also wanted to know, like, what it was like to be creating and and working on all of these different projects in the middle of a pandemic, um, using plenty of different mediums because you've been doing stuff online, you've, you've been drawing, you've been Zoom calling people and and all the while you're at home and you've got kids. <laughs> and on top of that, your wife is often creating in the next room. So how, how, do you, how do you make all that work? How does that pan out for you? At times, very carefully, and other times, it all falls apart, and we just kind of have to roll with it. Uh, like tonight, like I worked late, which the reason why I'm like so pushed back is I my nine to five, I had to work late, and then I was late getting to rehearsal. So sometimes it's rough and it's hard, but also I think if I wasn't doing it, I'd just be sitting on the couch watching TV or you know playing a video game, uh, which I miss sometimes, but uh, also. I like myself better when I'm busy. That's fair. Yeah. That's very fair. <laughs> and yeah, in pandemic, it was it was also interesting because we had a kid in May of last year. So I had really no choice but to be home. And so a, a lot of those projects, especially like drawing, are kind of easy to do in between tasks and, you know, uh, changing diapers and feedings and running around with my almost four-year-old. So yeah, it was... I know we're not supposed to say there's been any silver linings, but I've personally experienced some, you know, three whole months with a newborn was amazing, you know, and yeah, I got into a lot of other things that I hadn't done in a long time, mainly sculpture and, you know, kind of working, working with 3D mediums. I've been batting around that silver lining concept for a long time. And (laughs) I I see the point of view of people being like, there's no silver lining in this situation because it's just a shitty situation all around. But also the idea of a silver lining is that there is hope in even the most despondent of times. And while I wouldn't say the pandemic was great for me, I feel like I had a lot of personal growth and that's a silver lining at the very least. Yeah, I mean, this started, right? Like 
our project here. I mean, a lot of people started podcasts last year. <laughs> yeah, but we're up to over 20 episodes. We are. We are. Most podcasts quit after the first episode. <laughs> also, Mike, Aaron has listened to every episode we have made. Wow. I have. That's awesome. Aaron is a longtime listener. Yeah. She's an OG fan. Yeah. True that. <laughs> I originally tried to convince her to come on and actually like be a guest. And she was like, no, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, part of my issue right now, it's, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about your perspectives on the pandemic. Like nothing stopped for me. So I was only working from home for about a month and then mm-hmm. we were back to work. And I mean, we were wearing masks and everything, but like what stopped for me was my art. Mm. I'm, I'm the producer for Memento Mori and Co. And you guys had Chris on a while ago. And that was where I, I met Shane and, and we were working on all those projects. But then I didn't have rehearsals for that anymore. I wasn't doing those Wednesday night shows. And the only thing I was doing was working as a customer service manager. So my art has kind of been put on hold. So I don't, I don't really have anything new to report. Sure. I haven't been doing anything. So it's interesting to see how other people have, have made it work for them. Yeah, and in March, I was like furloughed. So it was like, okay, I have to find something to do. I'm going insane. Right. And one of the reasons I didn't feel awkward asking you to guest co-host this episode was because you're a producer and a damn good one. Thank you. And, you know, the, the idea of the logistics of putting together an interview seemed far more up your alley than just having you on as a guest anyway. Yeah, you, you just didn't want to listen to me ramble for an hour. <laughs> That's probably what it was. I mean, I listen, I listen to Mike ramble. That's true, he does. Mike, flashback for me. <laughs> flashback to our, our college days. Oh boy. I want you to share an onstage experience that you and I had that <laughs> just, just rings true for you. You know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. I have a feeling. We were in... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We were in Taming of the Shrew and I played Petruchio and uh, Shane played Grumio and Grumio for anyone that doesn't know, but maybe is familiar with Shakespeare in general and his characters is the clown, the fool of the show. I think specifically in this show, he's a clown and uh, (laughs) Shane decided, what was it? The final dress rehearsal? It was pretty close. That Grumio needed a prop and it was always going to be food. And the first prop he brought on stage was a stick of pepperoni. And at one point he was sitting on the floor and Petruchio bloviates and just talks and talks and talks. And he doesn't really pay attention to anyone around him. So I'm doing that. (laughs) I turn around and look at Shane on the floor and he's got the pepperoni stick. Now this thing's like a foot and a half long, right? So he's got the pepperoni stick. He's sitting on the floor, the pepperoni stick nestled between his legs, and he's gnawing on the end of it. <laughs> and it took every every fiber of my no, you know, it was a it was the performance, it was opening night. It took every fiber of my being to not break and then to <laughs> remember my next freaking page of text. You act like you've never seen a clown self-fillate on stage, you know? And like that's when I think I knew that. I have to be ready for anything when I'm on stage with Shane. I've experienced that as well, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, fine. <laughs> if we're going to share our favorite Shane stories on stage, go ahead, Aaron. Oh, good gravy. 
I don't think that I have a specific story because I feel like everything you do, it's been like the murder mysteries where you're doing the same show for an entire year, every Wednesday night. And even if you're like not in that show, because we have two fully different casts that we can swap actors in and out. Even if you're not in that show, every time you are on the stage, you would find something else to do differently. Just something, just a little something. And then afterwards you'd be like, was that okay? Did I ever do it? And then, and then you would just keep going, just keep going. And you keep tweaking <laughs> it until by the end of the run, like it's so far from what we rehearsed. Like, and we all just know it's coming. Like we could all just like, just say what you're going to say along with you. And you've added like an entire page of text <laughs> to the script by the end. And we're just, we're sitting here going like, what, what, what even is this? I take it all back. I don't want anyone to share stories about me. We're cutting this entire <laughs> section of the podcast. <laughs> It's usually entertaining. I'll share, I can share my most recent Shane, most recent experience with Shane, which is him as my director, which the previous story may have indicated would be a, a nightmare, but it actually isn't. It's, it's, it's nice, especially since we know each other so well. We just like, he's just like, hey, you did this thing. Can you do it that way? And I'm just like, sure. And we, you know, we've got like a nice shorthand. So that's nice. <laughs> How many other people do you have that kind of shorthand with? And I mean, I guess it has to change person to person, right? Absolutely. I mean, we work as a company. Aaron, you're familiar with this, being the producer of a company. And one of the things that is a great benefit from that type of creative space is that you learn about each other in ways that, yeah, you create that shorthand, you become comfortable enough with one another so that not that working with new people isn't comfortable most of the time, but you get to a space where, you know, maybe, maybe you have to try a new thing and it's making contact, physical contact with that person. That can be weird if you don't know the person, or at least if it's not weird in the execution, it's, you, you still have to find a comfort level. Right. And I would safely say that with anybody in Will Kemp's it's easy to make that change. It's easy to just be like, okay, I'm going to pick you up. <laughs> Your feet have been on the ground for a really long time. Let's right, fix right. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come over and drunkenly hang on you, you know, um, familiar and cool enough with each other to where like it, either we just talk about it for like 15 seconds and we figure it out or you just kind of do it and, you know, we trust each other. I think trust is like the biggest benefit. So yeah, I would say like anybody with Kemp's and then there's other people that I've worked with over the years, you know, that uh, other directors coming to mind. Jean-Rémy Monet uh, is a, a director that I've worked a lot with in this area. And he calls me just to talk, which is nice. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, how you doing? What are you working on? You know, he's kind of like my theater dad. So yeah, I'm, there's, there's a lot of people that I've worked with in the past that I have spectacular shorthand with. And then there's people that you've worked with that you just never never get it to click for whatever reason you know and uh yeah you just kind of have to roll with it and then have you ever worked with people that like feel like they've clicked with you and you're like no no we're, we're not there yet buddy <laughs> not, not quite yet but thanks <laughs> i'm a pretty personable person <laughs> i would never like outwardly reject anyone's like familial interaction i'm i'm super extrovert and you know i kind of i just try to be i think you know being as big as I am and not white I've kind of my whole life just been like oh I'm just gonna be like agreeable <laughs> you know um and it's just kind of a default not that I think it's like hampered my 
journey or anything. Um, it's just something I think a long time ago that I just decided to do. Yeah, I mean, it's still a part of your journey, you know? Genuinely, like I honestly just want people to be at ease just because like, why not? Why should I stress people out, you know? But yes, there are people that think we're way cooler than I have the idea in my head of where we are. <laughs> So one of the things that I know... Oh, do you? Do you know? Oh, I do know. Oh, wait, Shane, maybe you're on that list. Maybe you should dial it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's way too much that has transpired between Shane and I for him to have any doubt where he sits in my... <laughs> I was going to say, if it took 23 podcast episodes to find that out... <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, 20 years of friendship or however long it's been, 15. Back to what I know. <laughs> I, I know that the both of you have a background in backstage work as well as onstage work. I know that when I started working with Mike early on, we did a lot of our own set building, a lot of our own light focusing. And Aaron is a master electrician on top of producing and acting. And Oh, wow. Cool. I mean, it was for a while. It's, it's like a job title that I no longer have. You want to you want to move to New York? We're looking for one of those at my day job. <laughs> oh, I mean, buddy, I just bought a house in Virginia. That'd be quite the move. <laughs> just commute. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that'll work. <laughs> we'll start driving now. So speak to us about a couple of uh, backstage experiences that you've had where maybe you wanted to be on stage or you were maybe you were really happy you weren't on stage. I actually, I have only ever like professionally worked backstage in like a design capacity. So usually you're not there when the show is happening. The only show that I worked backstage and was there for performances was a friend of mine who's since passed. He, uh, he was directing Annie and needed for a weekend needed a stage manager. And I had done it before in like college. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll come do it. And I completely forgot that Annie has like 15 little girls all under the age of like 13. So that, that was a challenge both for my patience and experience. So yeah, that, that was one, that was, that was one backstage experience that I wish I had spared myself but i mean he paid me so that was cool <laughs> but yeah mostly i'm if i'm if it's backstage work it's like design not so much in recent years and that's because as someone as multifaceted as i am there was a point where i just had to say okay like this is too much like there's too much going on i'm trying to do too much and in the in in the in the spaces that I was performing in and and designing in, there's a very little or no money. I was doing a lot of work, and as much as I loved set design and set building, it ended up being something that I didn't like. It ended up being something that I felt I you know a was a drag on me. So I stopped doing it. I actually stopped telling people that I was a designer. I stopped going to like set builds <laughs> if it was like voluntary because I was just like yeah no I'm not gonna. I'm not going to go down that road <laughs> right now. One day, I think one day I'll get back to it. I did artistic design for a production of ours, not last summer, but the summer before. And basically just did the entire, just the kind of entire look of Midsummer Night's Dream. And that was a lot of fun. And we don't work with a set. So it was great. Cause I was just like, oh, you know, this, we can, you know, put up 
on our tent and curtains <laughs> some fake foliage and and it'll be fine and i got to do more character design which i didn't know for stage that i would enjoy so much but now makes sense to me because you know doing character drawings it's like oh right i've just been doing this forever so uh, yeah it was a lot of fun well, here's a question kind of along those lines. Have have you ever done work for a project that you weren't necessarily like directly involved with, with in like that you were acting in or something like that? Some some way that you were able to take a step back and they continued the project that you didn't like the outcome of how they used your work? Hmm. That's a tough question. That's a good one. That is a that is a very good question. Well, I know like for me, like I've I've done that sort of thing before where I've like come in, I've done the lights for something and then I've left and then I come back and they've changed things. Sure. sure. And that really bothered me. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? I don't think I ever have. I've, I one one time I did do, uh, I didn't design it. So I, it's not necessarily, not technically didn't change my work. They changed someone else's work, but I did assist on us like painting and building a set once when I went to see the show, they had decided they needed a blackboard or something. So they just painted a blackboard on the flat, one of the flats that I had painted really nicely to look like wood. And I was just like, oh, that kind of sucks. And like, I mean, it was all over the place. So it wasn't really, but yeah. So it was like, you know, there's stuff like that that happened, but not really so much, you know, in terms of like really feeling a certain type of way about it. I guess I've been, I guess I've been lucky. Or maybe just the work that I do isn't, isn't really like, prone to being moved around or changed maybe you're just that good maybe you're selling yourself short <laughs> in the same vein i did so actually this is this is kind of quasi an answer to your question because technically i was in the production midsummer as i was i mentioned before so i did this thing where we kind of designed the fairies in a uh devised way if you will um like i kind of had everyone say like I said hey I want your input like you're playing mustard seed what does that mean how, you know how do you think what's your physicality what would you wear you know what are you comfortable wearing that was really what it was all about was I wanted them to have direct input into what I put them in because a lot of them were in like leotards and you know like Oberon I played Oberon and he wore like an open sleeveless cloak and I wasn't wearing a shirt and I was like I'm fine with that and you were very sexy <laughs> I was like, I'm fine with that, but I don't, you know, I don't want to impose on anyone's, you know, comfort with their bodies. So we had a couple meetings where we decided, you know, what, what was the design going to be? What were we all going to look like? And I had one actor that never showed up to them and it was fine. I just thought, you know, they were going to be cool with whatever I put together and like, that would be fine. But they then took it upon themselves to create an entire ensemble and just kind of showed up with it. And I was like, Hmm, what's this, <laughs> you know? And like, they didn't understand that it was a collaborative effort and they, they still had to fit in with the rest of the picture. Right. Like, because there were still the common themes, the yeah, concept, there's still a story being told. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of annoying to have to deal with, which I think I, I did well. You know, I, I had to kind of put my foot down in some certain circumstances, but I let a lot of what they chose fly. And I was like, this is, this is fine. And it kind of worked for their character anyway. They were playing cobweb and we did cobweb as kind of a weirdo, dark, always, <laughs> you know, dark fae. So it was like, all right, cool. Like it, it, a lot of what they were doing worked. So it was fine. 
but yeah there was an instance where i was just kind of like uh what is all this like i don't know i'm interested in your point of view on something that you mentioned previously and it was about getting paid for the work you do and i think i don't know when this shift happened and i don't know if it's something that happens individually as you grow up or it's something that has changed in the culture of art making but i'm i remember in college and even after college a lot of the work that we were expected to do as artists was expected to be done for free Uh, everywhere everywhere every every form of art that you do it doesn't matter if you're doing macrache or drawing or you know what i mean there's always going to be people that want you to produce for for nothing for exposure and i feel like that is starting to fade away the culture of asking your artistic friends to do art for free is becoming a bit more taboo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm gonna say something that maybe is controversial <laughs> I think that we're all blind and have blind spots to things. And depending on where we are in our lives, we tend to lend a lot of weight to what we are all experiencing. And I'm happy to say that that is my experience right now is that I'm, I am finding more that people are willing to pay for my work. However, because we run in similar circles and we're of a similar age, I think it's still a problem. I can see it poking its head when I am on like, you know, a Facebook group or a Twitter feed, you know, someone's like, oh, well, what would you like to see change in community theater? And someone, sometimes it's me, someone, sometimes it's someone else would be like, pay the actors something. Like it doesn't have to be an hourly rate. It doesn't have to be a contract rate, something, just a little something to put gas in their car. And then inevitably you'll get people come in and they'll be like, oh, we don't do this for money. And it's like, well, (laughs) that's not entirely the point. We've decided in society for better or worse, the way we show each other appreciation is we pay, we pay each other. That's just the language that we're speaking. Also, after a certain level of responsibility, it doesn't matter how good a person is or how much they love doing a thing, they have to start weighing the realities of their life versus the things that they want to do or the things that they like doing. And I think the reason why you'll see a lot of, there's a gap in community theater. You see 18 to like 30 year olds and then like 45 plus, right? And that's because people have kids, child rearing years, you know, and they disappear that I've seen it happen. They'll just disappear from the community. And like, maybe they come back when they retire. So it's like, there's something happening where that calculation in their heads is like, okay, this has to go, you know what I mean? Because of one thing or another. And I guess that's not everybody. Maybe everybody doesn't think that way. And not everybody wants to get paid to act. But like I've, I've worked in really successful, almost regional theaters, should be regional theaters. Maybe they pay designers and they'll pay the guy to run the light board or, you know what I mean? But then still you have all these actors on stage doing good work and not, not getting paid. Yeah, no compensation for that work. And then there's drawing... I think, I think that's maybe one space that I have seen a shift and that's because of things like Fiverr and Upwork and you know what I mean? Where you've got these, these websites that are dedicated to getting artists paid and that really hasn't happened yet for actors on a amateur level. Got to start a website, you guys. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's, there, there is certainly a shift in visual art. 
I still do a lot of visual art for free or next to free for like friends or whatever, but they're friends. Like it's like, oh, hey, can I pay you like 25, 30 bucks to do a character design for me? Yeah, sure, fine. And I mean, we we had a a situation in Will Kemp's Players mm-hmm. with that this year where we, we did. Uh, reached out into the public social media spheres to start looking for apprenticeships to bring on to Will Kemp's Players. And it was our fault because we were not clear in our verbiage, mm-hmm. but people started to make the assumption that we were asking people to come do work for free. <laughs> and we had to quickly hop on and be like, no, that's not the case. There is a stipend at the end of the rehearsal practice you know our apologies for not making that clear right right and that's also because like again like will kemp's players is kind of a weird thing here right like there's i think there's maybe a handful of other companies that make it a point to pay their actors so much so that like there's like probably other things that that money would be better spent on or maybe more i won't say better spent on i'll say there are other ways that that money could help the company, you know what I mean, uh, excel. But because they're holding so true to this idea that everybody's work is worth something, you know, we're having to like, maybe we're cutting corners on like, like us. We don't have a set. Part of that is because Shakespeare, you don't need one. But a lot of that is because like, hey, like we're going to do this show with a pipe and drape and two tens because we're going to pay people. Uh, yeah, one of the things that, I mean, Aaron was responsible for in the murder mystery was making sure everyone got paid. It was, yeah. I mean, not to say that's the only reason everyone liked you, Aaron. <laughs> hey. But at the end of the day, you started handing out checks. Technically, I did that at the start of the show. <laughs> You've never paid me anything, and I and I think you're pretty cool. So. Aw, thanks. You've also <laughs> only known me for like a matter of hours. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> I like how you tabletop, all right? Like this. <laughs> like he said, he's very personable. I am. <laughs> yeah, I've I've worked with a few theaters in Richmond. I, I grew up in Richmond, just outside of its south side. Mm-hmm. And I worked with a couple of professional theaters in that area. And then a couple of theater troops that were kind of up and coming. And I always really respected that they were willing to pay people like... I seem to be the person that gets roped in at like the last minute, um, like especially at the theaters around here. Some of the community theaters, they're like, hey, we don't have anybody to run the light board. And, and they'll ask my, my good friend, Jen, they're like, do you know anybody? And she's like, I, I know a girl. And then I end up coming into that sphere and slowly we'll start to make small waves and, and getting traction that way. So I had started doing that in Richmond before I moved out this way. And it is, it's, it's fascinating the number of things you'll be asked to do for absolutely nothing. And I feel like the, it's not even necessarily the quality of the work is different when people are being paid, but the level of respect everyone has for each other is different. And your, your duties are very clearly defined to you in most cases, and you're getting paid for the work you are doing as opposed to, hey, can you come help me with this thing? I'll give you 20 bucks. If that makes any sense. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And like, like, listen, like I get it. Like if you're a, if if you're running a community theater out there, I mean, there's not a lot of money. There just isn't. I mean, I know personally, I know, you know, a couple small, you know, operations and the people that run them are beautiful people doing what they can. And I get that. I totally get that. And I don't want people to stop doing the work you know, because they can't get paid. I don't want that to happen. You know, it's just personally for me, it's like a a lot of that's in the calculus, you know, it's in the, 
it's in like, okay, well, how am I going to divide my time? Which goes back to the question that Aaron was talking about earlier with having a wife and a kid and bills and a house. You beat me to it. Sorry. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. But that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, do you think maybe that's because you're within that child rearing age? Do you think that's, that's what it is? Uh, yeah. I mean, it must be. I, I also think that there's once you start doing, so once you've gotten yourself into like a mindset, especially me, I like, I don't, I don't, again, like, I'm just only speaking for myself. Once I've gotten myself into a certain mindset and a certain way of doing things, that kind of becomes my new base. Uh, You know, a few months ago, doing all this stuff, being really busy, like that was crazy. And like, but like now it's a baseline. That's, I'm going to have, you know, three rehearsals and, you know, uh, record the podcast and also have to get six hours of drawing done this week. And that's fine you know, on top of everything else. So like for me, once it was like a company, like a, like a professional company, like we started a company and I do a lot of work for this company and it's a cooperative and I see how little extra effort personally putting into this thing kind of pays off at the end. So now I'm like, oh, that's, that's, this is the direction I'm moving in now. This is my baseline. And so now to move into another space and like do comparable level of work for below my baseline, it's just difficult for me. And like, I have, I have like in my head, I've got these stipulations, right? Like, like I still do it. There's still theaters that I enjoy working at because they're like quasi professional spaces. You go in, you have a rehearsal and you leave. They, you know, they keep time. You don't, you don't get kept late unless you've all agreed that you're going to keep late. They don't ask you to nail a damn thing into the wall. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of auditions that I'll, uh, that'll kind of come across the audition notice emails. And maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. But now it's like, it's not part of, that's not, it's below the baseline now. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I have, I feel like I have a, a, a similar, as I'm scrolling through like auditions I want to go to and jobs I want to apply for the open net that I would have cast 10 or 15 years ago is a little smaller than a little smaller now than it was then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're you're looking for a specific fish now yeah yeah I don't know all that being said I think we have one more question for you Mm. and it's it's an Aaron question is it my favorite question almost oh no it's not my favorite question so then you have two more questions (laughs) (laughs) Are, are you ready for this question I am I'm ready, hit me. So Mike, I desperately need to know what is your second favorite snack? Oh, <laughs> got you. I need to know what your go-to is when you can't have your go-to. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think you were ready, buddy. Oh, I don't think I am. <laughs> well, because you know, you always have that one thing you love it, and then a bunch of other things that you love, yeah. right? So I think my second go-to snack is ice cream. It's, especially if it's hot, like it is today. Oh, I thought you meant hot ice cream. I was like, um. <laughs> no, that's soup. I saw that look on your face. <laughs> it's like, no, that's that's just soup. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ice cream. And that's tricky too, because I'm a vegan. There are certain vegan ice creams that are better than others. And I've found that any old, any old dairy-free won't do. What are you willing to share your, your top vegan ice cream? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, maybe we can get ourselves a promotion out of this. Cotto ice cream uh, it is made with, uh, with avocado oil and it is delicious. It's creamy. It's, 
It's great. Interesting. <laughs> All right, I'll start typing up the email, see if we can get <laughs> So then like, but what flavors would that be in? Would it taste like avocados? Or no, really that's the best thing about it. Yeah, no, no, it does not. It does not taste like avocado. Although it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. That's kind of what I'm thinking, like avocado, like avocado yeah. ice cream. Which like, if like 13 year old me heard me say that, be like, what the f- <laughs> Get out of <No>. here. <laughs> <laughs> my, my palate has matured. Yeah. So yeah, ice cream. Awesome. All right. So I also don't know who to thank, really. Aaron, thank you <laughs> so much for coming on and being the co-host with me and interviewing Mike and throwing him this little bamboozle. Yeah. And Mike, thank you for not screaming and running away. <laughs> I can't run away from my own show. You kind of backed me into a corner here. <laughs> Thanks for still being friends, I guess. <laughs> no, it was great. And yeah, yeah, it was it was good. It was a nice little surprise. And it was a good way to wind down after, after such a a crazy verse. So again, thank you both. This has been a great episode. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for putting up with me. (laughs) And thanks for making excellent content too, you guys. Like I've genuinely enjoyed the podcast and I really have listened to all the episodes. Awesome. That's awesome. Maybe, maybe this could be like a a thing we can offer our fans in general. It's like, Oh, you do like a competition. So right now, I guess right now I'm going to throw a bamboozle for Shane. Oh no. If you want to come on the show and interview Shane, you let us know. Where can they, where can they let us know Shane? You heard it here first. You can let us know on the Twitters at act list pod or on Facebook at www dot facebook.com slash active listeners pod and i think that brings us to audience participation don't you that does bring us to audience participation aaron is here and yeah so aaron we're gonna put you on the spot audience participation for this week what would you like the audience to talk to us about i think it would be fun to come up with questions that we should ask shane for when you have someone on to interview him you you heard all about mike what should we ask shane really feel like this has backfired on me you're welcome buddy that's what you get (laughs) you couldn't have expected anything else yeah i guess that's my own fault so you heard it here (laughs) hop on our twitter hop on our facebook start thinking of questions to ask me and think about who's going to be the one to surprise interview me. Get a hold of us, get a hold of Mike, and join in the conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.